Okay, you ready for this this morning? I, I, I'll be honest with this whole week, uh, I knew what was in front of me here with this next 10 scriptures in uh, Ephesians. We've gone through the first cha- three chapters of the letter to the Ephesians, and the first three chapters were some deep, deep theological waiting. In fact, some theologians say it's probably the most comprehensive three chapters in the entire Bible in terms of just unpacking the gospel to its fullness. It's where, as we've seen, we've gotten all this, you know, you've been saved by grace through faith. I mean, that's the, the very core essence, and not of works. I mean, that is the foundation to your understanding. It, most people in the world don't understand that. They think salvation is a function of their ability, their talent, their goodness, and it, it permeates our entire culture. It com- consistently, you'll go out and it doesn't matter and they'll say, well, I'm a pretty good person. You just hear that all the time. And you see most religions uh, be nervous about not knowing whether they're in or out because they're trying to make their way. And it was the archetype of that whole thing was the Tower of Babel. It gives us a picture. Man's always going to try to build his way up to God. And that's religion. Religion has always been man's attempt to get to God. And as we've seen, Jesus is then God's clear attempt to get to man. So it's Christ. It's in Christ. That's what we see in the letter to the Ephesians over and over and over. In Christ, in Christ, in Christ, in Christ. Everything we have is in Christ. Everything, the summation of everything we know is in Christ. Everything that we feel about our faith must be founded in Christ. And that's what we got in the first three chapters. Now there's a radical shift to the last three chapters of this letter, and it's very much about application. Now there's a lot of crossover. There's deep theology in the the next three chapters, and there was some application in the first three. But in general, you're going to get a heavy dose of application. If these things be true, how then shall we walk? That's the language he uses. About five times in Scripture, Paul uses the language of walking, walking. I I was thinking about it even this morning. Uh, I don't know if you can see this, but uh, I have carried this little note binder that I've been through I don't know how long, and you can see how worn this is. And there's a little interstate sign on here, and it says Luke 14. 1423. It's kind of an interstate sign, Luke 1423. And it was our very first little insignia. When I, I, I had finally understood this. It took me a long time to understand the first three chapters. And I'm just saying uh, in terms of my ability to understand the gospel, a long time. I had kind of given my life to Christ, but I don't really under, didn't really understand it. And it had cost me a lot. It had cost me a lot. And then finally I said, Lord, I, I, I want to follow you. I, w- I want to understand you in a deeper way. Years after I had said the prayer and gotten baptized. I said, it's now it's time. I, I really want to do whatever it is that you've called me to do. And, and some of you know the story, but I, I got down on my knees and for months I would just pray and seek the Lord and said, I'll go wherever you want me to go. I'll do whatever you want me to do. I'm convinced that you're the king of kings. And one morning in prayer, I didn't have my Bible with me. I heard Luke 14, 23 will be your life verse. Some of you have heard my testimony. I didn't have a Bible. I didn't know what, I, what is that verse. And I, I knew deep down, given what I knew about my life, it was going to be Jesus wept. And I, and I knew that was going to be the verse, you know. <laughs> and I said, oh, Lord. But I knew I heard. I, I didn't hear an audible voice. But it, it, was, it, it, 
became so clear to me that I knew that that was my life verse. And it was very much this. It was a parable Jesus told. I'm going to throw a big party, go out and invite my friends. And, and they went out and came back and go into the streets and the lanes. Well, there's still room. People had some excuses and there's some room. And then go out and finally, Luke 14, 23, and the master said to the slave, go out into the highways and along the hedges and compel them to come in that my table might be filled. That's a pretty cool life verse. But I studied that verse for a couple of years. I mean, truly, one verse. I said, this is my life verse. I want to know everything about that verse. And I studied it and studied it and studied it and understood what a master and a slave. Who's the master? Who's the slave? What does that mean, slave? Uh, and we don't, don't try to picture, don't conjure up in your mind uh, chattel slavery like we have here that's just property and, and the horrors and the the, the horrors of that kind of slavery. No, this was bond servitude. And I, I wanted to understand that. And I want to understand what are highways and where does it lead and where do these highways go and what's that about and what does it mean to be compelling and, and what is it? Highways and hedges and Hosea too, you know, they've been hedged in. And everywhere in scripture that it, it ever used any one of those words, I do deep word studies and I just began to put a, put a picture in my mind. And in fact, that's exactly what's happened in my life. It created a path for me to walk in understanding that life verse. You say, well, I don't know that I have a life verse. You should ask the Lord, why am I on the planet? I know I'm on the planet to be saved, but what is there specifically that you've called me to do in this life? And then as we'll get to in this passage, what are the gifts that you've given me that I might, might accomplish? Give something back to the growing body of Christ. And we'll also get that language in this first 10 verse. There's one body, one spirit, one faith, one baptism, one hope, one God and Father, one Lord. So what is it to walk? So let's go. If you have your Bibles, Ephesians chapter 4 now. We're going to read the first few verses here. Therefore, I, the prisoner of the Lord. Now, why does he say that? Well, it could be a metaphor, but he's actually a prisoner, as we've discussed here. He's actually in Rome, in prison, writing this letter back to the church at Ephesus, or probably in some of the early copies, as we've discussed, probably a litany of churches that were around Asia Minor that he's writing this to. He says, I implore you to walk in a manner worthy. Now, think about that, of the calling with which you have been called. Okay, there's a lot. There's a, that's loaded. So I want you to walk. This, this thing right here, this verse, Luke 14, 23, changed the direction, the trajectory of my walk forever. Now, from the outside looking in, you couldn't necessarily see it. I mean, I still, you know, I'd go to the store. Well, my wife would laugh at that. I rarely go to the store. She and my girls have done an incredible job of uh, I don't go to the store much, but, uh, you know, wherever it is, go to the golf course as a golf pro, go, you know, go to work and all those years, you know, I, so you wouldn't necessarily, but in my heart, there was a directional shift in my walk, a, a, a very strong one. And how am I doing that? I'm walking in a manner worthy of the calling. Now, implicit there is that everyone's called. You have something to accomplish. And to accomplish that, God then will gift you. And that's really the essence of what this, this passage is going to be talking about. And it, now, how do we do it? We do it with all humility and gentleness, with patience. You know, this, this kind of calling is not, well, when we score a touchdown, we just hand the ball back to the ref. 
That's basically the metaphor here, right? We don't have to go out and find, and you know, Terrell Owens used to have a Sharpie in his, and he'd pull it out of his sock and sign a football and do all these, and then the ref would throw the flag, and, or the guy would, the, a few weeks ago had a, had a cell phone hidden under the thing, and he scored and pulled the cell phone out and made a call and all this kind of thing, and, and some of that's just theatrics and it's entertainment, and I actually don't mind that, but the point is, uh, what we've been called to do in the kingdom is when we score a touchdown, we realize it's in Christ. And we just take the ball and we hand it back to the ref and we, go, and we go back and get ready for the kickoff. Are you following me? We do it with patience. We do it with gentleness, showing tolerance for one another in love. We're going to talk about that in a minute. Tolerance. Our society has a lot of need of tolerance, but there's a difference between tolerance and then unity that's difficult, and we see all the signs of coexistence and all this kind of things. We're going to talk about that in a minute. Being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Unity is critical. In fact, we're going to see that it is, in fact, unity that is the demonstration to the world that this is true. Unity. If we can't see unity, then the world goes, ah, that's just like anything else. It's just a bunch of division. There is one body, one spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of who is over all and through all and in all. But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says now he's going to go back and this is going to be the exciting part. Lord, help me get to this portion of Scripture this morning and unpack it because I think it will excite you. I think it will invigorate you. He quotes uh, Psalm 68, written about a thousand years before this time. When he ascended on high, he led captive a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. What does that even mean? And then Paul goes on to add his commentary and says, now this expression, he ascended, what does it mean except that he also had descended into the lower parts of the earth? He who descended is he himself, also he who ascended far above the heavens so that he might fill all things. Now, I don't know if you've ever done much study in that, but that's kind of complex. What does that even mean? Ascending, descending, Host taking host uh, captives captive. I think the King James says he's taken captivity captive. I don't know. I think the NIV is he took many captives. So there's taking people captive. It's ascending. It's giving gifts. It's it, this is strange. I don't really understand that. We'll, we're going to try to get there if God will help us. Now I want to talk about this idea of walking. Now if you'll remember back in Ephesians chapter two. It says, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins, this is what we went over, in which you formerly walked according to the natural course of this world. So you used to walk like everybody else walked. You just got up and you didn't need any training in it. And it very much depends on where you grow up. This is very much about nature and nurture. Depends on what your mom and dad did. It depends on where you grew up. Did you grow up in the hood or did you grow up in behind the walls of a country club? Did you grow up on one side of the tracks or did you grow up on the other side of the tracks? And your walk was pretty much determined that. 
There's not a, uh, I, in my family, you know, they, my, both my parents ha- had, had the privilege of going to college, but they were small college. I don't know that they ever thought about me going to Yale or Princeton or somewhere like that. I don't think that ever crossed their radar. And yet I've known many people where the kids almost grow up with an assumption that they'll go to boarding school and they'll go to somewhere like Yale or Princeton or Harvard or Stanford or something like that. I ended up kind of penetrating through that and going to Rice. My parents didn't really know much about that, and that was down in Houston. And then, but it was, it, was a, it was a walk that was almost prescribed in some ways, and that was only a function of golf. I mean, but how did I get introduced to golf? My, go- my dad just had fallen in love with golf. As a, as a salesman, and he took his clients out, and so I kind of just picked that up, and I'd play basketball and football and baseball and all that, but golf began to kind of take center stage for me, and so it was just, now, did I really have to think through that and have all this plan, or was it just kind of how I just happened to operate? I mean, I, the walk was just natural for me. I didn't have to think about it, and then all the failure in my life was just natural. It's what my buddies did. You know, we went out drinking, chasing, and this and that, and that was just our life. We didn't think about it. We didn't have to think about it, and that's what he's saying. You were dead. That was just natural for you. You didn't have to think about that, but now there's a more intentional walk. Now in Christ, it's, you need to walk worthy of your calling. You need to walk in a manner worthy. That strikes me, makes me think deeply. What does my walk look like? Where, where, what, where am I aimed? Where am I going? I mean, it's the fact that you're here this morning gives some intentionality to your walk. There's a lot of reasons for being here, and maybe some of them are even wrong. Maybe you just think, well, I just want to get on God's good side. Well, no, I mean, I hope it's deeper than that. I hope you want to come and worship. I, want you, I hope with a worshiping community, and I, I hope you want to, to grow in knowledge and be discipled as at least part of your discipleship on Sunday morning. So I think there's basically four things that Paul elaborates on in terms of walk. We need to do something differently. We need to think differently. We need to love, maybe for the first time, biblical love, as we talked about last week, not just uh, a sensation or lust or something like that, something we have an emotion for at that moment, but a sacrificial kind of biblical love. And we need to do it all in purity. And this is the language, Ephesians 2.10. Something we've discussed, we are his workmanship, created in Christ for good works. So you're going to be, your life is going to look different after you come to Christ. You're going to be centered on doing the will of the Father, good works. And this goes as far as to say God prepared these kinds of works and has gifted you in ways even before the foundations of the earth. Now that just I don't even know how to deal with that. I mean, is this true, Lord, even before the foundations of the earth? You knew that I'd be here living in the 21st century, thinking about highways and hedges, and I found myself, and I know that wasn't the direct application, but it was for me. Every day I go in, and for years I've gone behind the walls of country clubs because golf was kind of was my language. It's where God put me. And every day I drive in, guess what I'm driving behind? Hedges. They're all hedged up everywhere I go. Every one of these places, they got walls around them, and they don't want to just see some ugly wall, so they put hedges around them. And I take pictures all over the world. Literally, all over the world, I take pictures every time. I'll send them back to Laura. Uh, Hedges, just everywhere I go, it's hedged in. Go out into the highways, and I've done that my whole life. A few years ago, I flew over 100,000 miles. Now, for some of you, that's not a big deal, but for me, in a lot of short trips... 100,000 miles in one year. I was, I was out in the highways and along the hedges. 
and trying to compel people to come into the kingdom. That was, has become my life verse. God had works for me, and he has works for you, and he's got giftings for you. Do you take it seriously? Do you think deeply? Why am I here? Or do you just think about your salvation? Early on, you need to think about your salvation. You need to walk through it. You need to get an identity in Christ. All those things are true. But there's a point at which we need to grow up and say, okay, God, why am I here? Why am I part of this body? And I mean, we'll talk about that in a minute. Is it local body? Is that regional body, national body, global body? Well, all the above, but there's also, at some point, we rub literal elbows with people. And so you are my local body. And so our interconnectedness makes for a powerful proclamation to the Coachella Valley that Jesus has been raised from the dead. And this is real. Let me tell you something. That's meaningful. So you begin to do different things. Ephesians 4.17. So this I say and affirm together with the Lord that you no longer walk as the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind, darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God. Why? Because of the ignorance that's in them and the hardness of their hearts. I remember, I remember memorizing that very, 20, 25 years ago, 30 years ago, when I first was, I'm going to read the Bible like, it, like it's true. I'm going to actually read the Bible. And I began to read the Bible, and I said, well, that's me. My whole life's been walking in the futility of my mind and my ignorance. And he's saying, don't walk like that anymore. Don't walk in the futility of your mind, darkened in your understanding and excluded from the life of God. <clears throat> so we can't stay in ignorance. We have to, we have to be discipled, people. And we're, we're going to look at this on February 3rd when we have our state of the church. Here in a, a few more weeks, we're going to come together and we're going to give you the whole rundown. It's going to be a, it, we'll do it during the service, both services. And we'll have pie charts and people up here and all the ministry leaders and different pastors and telling you what's been going on at church at the Red Door, where we've been and where we think God is leading us. And all that's important. But we've got to be, and discipleship is at the core of it. I mean, how can we move forward as a maturing body if we're not if we don't walk in knowledge, if we walk still in the futility of our mind, if, we, if we're just the same people we used to be. No, it can't be. Ephesians 5.2 says, And we need to walk in love just as Christ loved you and gave himself up for us, an offering and a sacrifice, a fragrant aroma. Look, when you step out in love, 1 Corinthians 13 love like we talked about last week, where you don't take an offense, you don't even consider it. It's just, it drops off your radar screen. We are going to offend people. I, I tell some people, I'm just, I, I've told our executive team, our pastoral team, everybody say, look, I'm gonna be, I try to be out and greet you when you come in, and when you leave, I try to greet as many people as I can. But there's always the challenge, if I'm talking to you, and then somebody walks by, and, and I, I'm focused on you, and then I can't, but I want to say hi to them before they leave, and I'm going to kind of look over here, and then the person I'm talking to goes, well, he's not paying attention to me. He's thinking about everybody else. But if I don't look at that other person walking by, he go, he ignored me. And so I think some pastors retreat to their office after they preach and they don't come out front because they're concerned that somebody's going to feel left out or marginalized or whatever. 
And I, I mean, I get home, I'm exhausted. I love it. But I, I, I mean, if I could, I'd hug every one of you. I'd sit down with coffee. I want to know what your week's been like. I, I really do. I have that heart. I do not have a heart. Some, some guys, just, it's just a pastoral spirit in me. I really do want to know what's going on in your life. I really do. At least about 95% of you. And... and <laughs> No, it's not true. I, I mean, I really do. I mean, I want to know. I, I want to connect. I mean, I love you. I mean, as, as a, if you consider this your church, I mean, even if not, but I, I love you. I want to connect. And, but it's so hard, you know, it's just so hard. But we have to move in love. We have to move in love. And then lastly, Ephesians 5, 8, which we'll get to in the weeks to come. You were formerly darkness, but now what? You are light in the Lord. You're children of light. Now, what does that mean? Light always denotes purity. We have to walk in increasing levels of purity. We cannot walk in the same kind of nonsense we used to walk in. So we have to think differently, don't we? We really do. We have to think differently. We've got to be, we know we have a different calling now. Uh, our, our feet, our walk is going to be in different directions, and we've got to do it all in love. And that's not easy. That is not easy. It's hard to love. It's hard to not take into account an offense suffered. Who's good at that? But, but if we are an intentional community, we are going to offend one another, as I was alluding to a minute ago. It's impossible to get a group of people. Some people are going to feel marginalized. Some people are going to feel left out. There's going to be something that's going to go on. They feel like they didn't get invited. And it's just, it's a never-ending thing. Some actually may intentionally, some people may intentionally offend you. Walking in maturity, you go, well, no, I'm a, I'm a child of light, man. Jesus died for me while I was a sinner. Can I not at least overlook a small slight from somebody in my own body? Give me a break. No, we have a culture of honor here. Now, a culture of honor does not mean that we are without fault. A culture of honor when we fail, not if we fail, when we fail, one another I'll fail you, you'll fail each other, there'll be miscommunication. But a culture of honor says, well, I forgive you even before you ask. And that, and that culture of honor, we get right back up on the highway of holiness and we continue towards God's presence because it's about more than our little petty emotions. It's about people understanding who Jesus is. And when they see unity in us, they'll go, that's something about that. People, if people don't walk into church at the red door, and feel something differently, and I'm talking about an atmosphere, we have a problem. And I mean a difference in terms of positive and love and care and concern. So one of the things I always want to hear, I had a, I had a precious man I was with last week, and he, he came for the first time, and he was standing around. I went up and said hi to him, and, and uh, he said, well, you know, nobody had said hi to me. And it's a rare thing, I think, at Church at the Red Door. We, we talk about it all the time. Is there one person that would come in that would be new that some, nobody would embrace or, or say something to? And I'm not talking about, a, you know, hello. I'm talking about, you know, hey, is this your first time? That, kind of, that, that engagement. And I don't want that never to happen. I mean, I, and it'd be the same way with your family. Imagine going to a family reunion and you walk in and it's kind of like, hey. And everybody's like, hey, yeah, good to see you. <laughs> Weren't you here last year, you know? I mean, no, it's every week, how do we cultivate that kind of an atmosphere? Why? Because it's representative of Jesus. Because if you walked in, Jesus would do that. Not just because we're trying to create some kind of, you know, whatever. That's almost cult-like sounding. But no, if it represents Jesus, 
Would Jesus hug that person that comes in for the first time? Yes. And if we're his body and he's the head, well, you know, there's only one body. So, well, how do you do this? It says, now it says, the scripture says, be diligent to preserve the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. Look, we live in a culture where everybody's, you know, we, many people in our culture see the church as the problem for lack of unity in culture, not the solution. That's a big, have you ever thought about that, how challenging that is? I mean, we want to be unified, and in some way, we can be unified with all humanity. Why? Because all of humanity, I don't care how far they are separated from God, all of humanity has been created Imago Dei. They've all been created in the image of God, every human being. And in that sense, I am in some ways unified with humankind. I mean, there is that element, and as a result of that, there will always be tolerance in my spirit towards everyone. No question about it. But then the other side is you've got this ecumenical movement, ecumenism. Now, the word defined actually is not so horrible as some think it to be, you know. There's a lot of conservatives say the ecumenical movement is the one world government or whatever they perceive that to be, and, and, and there's some truth in that. You know, you see the bumper stickers, the coexist kind of bunker, bumper stickers, where we've all got to be accepting of everyone else's belief. Now, one of the things we do know that as followers of Jesus, I don't have that. I didn't discover that. I'm not trying to be narrow. The one I follow, the one that I've pushed all my chips towards, and I'm all in on Jesus, he was in some ways narrow. And the Bible tells us that we must destroy speculations, philosophies, everything that would raise itself up against the knowledge of God, the true knowledge of God. And so can I be unified in spirit with everyone? Absolutely not. I cannot be. I can be tolerant. I can be loving. I can recognize that they're a human being that's fallen just like I was a human being that was fallen. So tolerance, yes. But there's a narrowness to following Jesus as well. The other side is isolationism, and it can become cultic. We're the only ones. You know, we're, we're the ones. We're the ones. We're the, we're the only church. You know, we're, we're the only, if you don't get baptized in our church, you're, you, it doesn't count. You know, we're the church. We're the, we're the one. That, there's these two extremes. It's too, it can be too broad and it can be too narrow. And the scripture has both sides. I believe it's Mark chapter 9 where uh, Jesus' disciples came back to him and they said, Lord, there's people, they're casting out demons in your name. And we're trying to get them to stop doing that. And Jesus is like, look, if they're not against us, they're for us. You're not going to be able to cast out a demon and then turn around the next day and deny me? I mean, this is not going to be the case. So that seems kind of broad, doesn't it? I mean, if they're not against us, they're for us. And yet other times it seems narrow. I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes unto the Father except through me. So there's a broadness and many other verses that would declare a narrowness. Broad is the way that leads to destruction, and narrow is the way that leads to life. Is it narrow or is it, is it broad? Do I accept everyone? We tolerate, we love, we reach out, we care, we feed, we, we do everything towards everyone, but that's the human. But I and you are called to destroy philosoph 
philosophies that raise themselves up and say that Jesus was just a teacher or that Jesus was just an icon or that Jesus didn't even exist or that God is this way or that God is that way. No, there's one faith, one Lord, one God and Father, one baptism, one spirit. There's just one, and that's narrow. One is narrow. One is narrow. And that's what Paul, I believe, is saying. I th- Look, there's not a human being that couldn't walk in this door that I wouldn't reach out to, want to reach out to and love and would be incredibly tolerant. And if we're not a church that tolerates, and I'm talking about every, across every line, ethnic, you know, sexual preference, everything. If, we're not, if we don't tolerate people and reach out into a culture, then we're not, we're not carrying out the gospel. But does that mean that, that I think that everything that they're doing is, is leading to human flourishing and leading to life abundant? Absolutely not. And that's, but I want to give someone a chance to come in where I can begin to at least tell them what Jesus said about reality. And then if they reject that, I understand. But the opportunity to accept Jesus. So ecumenism can also mean, for, most, for a lot of people, it's just like, like these interfaith things where everybody comes together and, you know, you'll have a, a, a Muslim imam and you'll have a rabbi and you'll have a priest and you may have a pastor and you may have someone else and, you have, and everything. And, and we come together and say, we all worship the same God. Well, let me just tell you, we don't all worship the same God. And that's why, the, that's why Paul here, I believe, is front-running this thing, uh, certainly our spirit, but it was the same 2,000 years ago. No, there's one God and Father. Listen to just a few of the scriptures. I'll make this as quick as I can. First, one body, 1 Corinthians 12. Even as the body is one, and yet it has many members, all the members of the body, though there are many, are one body, so is Christ. For by one spirit we were baptized into one body. Now that body, again, as I alluded to, a lot of people think when they read that, they immediately apply our local fellowship, our body, our church at the red door. And that's an appropriate thing, because those are the elbows that you will literally rub up against the elbows of the people in your church, and we create a body. But there's also a city body. I've always said I think there's a church of the Coachella Valley. I think that anybody proclaiming the gospel, anybody that is love, even though we may not see to eye to eye on everything, we can come together. And that is one of the overt reasons why we're doing this on Tuesday night. That's why Garden Fellowship is promoting this. And, and I reach out to Jason Duff, and he's a wonderful guy. And I'm having him pray and close us in prayer on Tuesday night. And, and Craig Cunningham and, and, and a pastor over here at Shadow Rock. And, and then, and, you know, Chris Husha over here at Cornerstone. And, and we've invited some. Some have agreed, and some would like to participate. Some wouldn't. But I, I still think there's a church of the Coachella Valley. And we are a body. And just like I think within the body, we have a particular lane to run in. You have a lane, you have a lane, you have a lane. Some have different gifts. You know, it's a pretty small percentage of people, quite frankly, that make this thing happen financially. I mean, because why? Some people, they give according to their means. And and some people have so much means that when they give, it's, it's a bigger check than I can give. But it's much more than that. Some people have hospitality and gifts and evangelism. And then we'll see even the... Even the, the various ministry parts that we'll see here in the next portion of Scripture next, in the next few weeks. Apostles, prophets, pastors, teachers. 
And then all the giftings in 1 Corinthians 12 and Romans 12. So we are a body, but I still think there are churches in this valley. I'm so thankful that they're reaching a particular demographic at a particular place. So they function in a way, and we make a city body when we have all the churches that are in some ways unified. Now, is that ecumenism? Well, in some ways it is. It's unity within the church, and then there's some that are not preaching the gospel And those are hard to be, what? Preserve the bond of unity in the spirit because you may have a different spirit. If someone's denying that Jesus was raised from the dead and they still call themselves a church, liberalism, well, I can't walk with them in the same body. I'm sorry. I love them. I'll reach out to them, but I can't walk with them if they're denying the resurrection. What do we really deeply have in common as a body? You're too narrow. Well, I'm sorry. I just think that's thoroughly biblical. You can't deny Christ and his resurrection. He was more than a teacher. He was the Alpha and the Omega. And according to the scripture, he will one day fill all and all. So when we see that, one spirit, well, if you'll remember in Acts chapter 1, Jesus said, you go back to Jerusalem and wait. Because wait for the promise. And the promise was the baptism of the spirit. This is one spirit, and when they were filled with that spirit, they began to speak in different languages, and, and Jews from all over the diaspora were listening to them worship God in their own language. Powerful. One spirit. One spirit. There are a lot of spirits in the world, but if you want to know about Jesus, you need the Holy Spirit. It's one spirit. There's one hope, Titus 2.13. It's the blessed hope. It's, it's our hope that Jesus was clearly raised from the dead and that He's coming back. That's our blessed hope. There's one hope. It's Christ. It's in Christ. My hope is not, it's not anything other than Jesus. It's not my ability. It's not my religiosity. It's not my goodness. It's Christ. There's one Lord. 2 Corinthians 11 says, If one comes and preaches another Jesus whom we've not preached, or you receive a different spirit which you've not received, or even a different gospel, you're bearing this beautifully. You know, he's saying, look, there's people that are going to come in. They're going to preach a whole other kind of Jesus. Do you know Jesus we have Jesus we have preached in this world today? Nobody's afraid to talk about Jesus. Well, there's all kinds of spiritual gurus and people. And, and even, other, even Islam talks about Jesus. But it is a different Jesus. It is a different Lord. How so? Well, he was a prophet. He was a great prophet. There was Muhammad, and then there was Jesus. But he certainly didn't go to the cross. That's a fabrication. And, and, and so that's a different Jesus. There's one Lord, and that one Lord came, as we'll see, and we may not get there today as much as I'm trying, but there's one Lord, and that one Lord, Jesus, when he came, he came for the sin of the world. He didn't come as a prophet. He, he was a prophet, but that's, he primarily came as a Messiah, as a lamb, and he'll come back as king, but he came first as a lamb, as a sacrifice for all. There's just one faith. You know, if you go to Galatians chapter 1, they were already having problems. I mean, you realize many of these letters were written to address problems that were already emerging, and because human beings are cyclical, I mean, we just cycle. The same mistruths can be dressed up in different ways, but fundamentally, once you get a worldview... You're going to see everything, it just dresses itself up in different ways. Listen to what Paul's confronting here, verse 1, verse 6, excuse me, of Galatians 1. He says, I'm amazed that you're so quickly deserting him who called you 
by the grace of Christ for what? A different gospel or a a different faith, if you will, which is really not another. Only there are some who are disturbing you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to what we've preached to you, he is to be accursed. That's a powerful, powerful language. Again, you see a hearkening back to the narrowness of proclaiming the gospel. Not some ecumenical movement that embraces either interfaith on a global scale or even unity just for the sake of unity, even with people that deny the resurrection of Jesus. What Paul had been preaching over and over is because of Christ, because of his death, because of his vicarious death on our behalf, that is the gospel, that he was ransomed. He ransomed us. He redeemed us. He was the ransom. He was the payoff to, to, to give justice and justify the necessary wrath of God, which we've gone to in a great length in here over the last number of months. That's the gospel, but already there are people that are coming up with a different gospel, and in this case, it was they were beginning to mix works in it. Okay, you've got to do this. Okay, believe in Jesus, but you've also got to have all these things to be saved. And Paul said, that's a whole different gospel. Now you have a works-based gospel, and that's just religion in general. And he goes on and says, as we have said before, I say now again, if any man is preaching to you a gospel contrary to what you have received, a different kind of faith, let that person be accursed. For am I now seeking the favor of men or of God? Am I striving to please men? If I were still trying to please men, I would not be a bond slave of the Lord Jesus Christ. Am I trying to please people? I can tell you right now what I do. There's so many shortcuts that I feel like I want to take all the time. Well, I don't want to say that. That'll offend somebody. Well, I don't want to say that because that'll, that'll narrow people. If, if we do that, if I, say, if I preach that, that people are going to go, I don't know if I can buy that, and they may leave next week. What, am, what are we trying to do here? How, you know, the, again, you know, the, the narrowness of the gospel, the, the broadness of it, but the narrowness of it has to come through. And if you ever don't hear that from me, be careful. Address me, talk to me. If it's getting too wide and starting to feel kind of like, oh, you know, it's just a big tent and everybody can come in. And I, oh, Jesus really, well, maybe he wasn't raised from the dead. Maybe he just is coming back. Maybe he's not coming back. Maybe he's just kind of here in spirit. Kind of like a a rich guy who will name a building after himself. And then when he dies, the spirit of that man will continue in some way through his through his, you know, maybe that was what Jesus was talking about. You know, the continuation of his spirit or kind of his teaching in some way. No, Jesus is coming back in bodily form. Just as you've seen him leave, what did they say? You will see him come back. That's the gospel. Everything else, be careful, be careful. And there's one baptism. I want to, Acts chapter 19, if you would real quickly, verses 1 through 7. It happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the upper country and came where? To Ephesus, this letter that we're discussing. And we know the story that we went through in great detail and found some disciples. And he said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Now, why? There's one Spirit. Did you receive the Holy Spirit? And their response was say, no, we've not even heard about whether there is a Holy Spirit. And he said, well, what were you baptized into? And they said, well, we were baptized into John's baptism. Okay, now let's stop for a second. John the Baptist, I mean, that, that's his name. You've got to baptize people if that's your name, right? 
John the Baptist was baptizing people into what? Into the kingdom? No, he was cleansing them that they might have a heart. It was a baptism called a baptism of repentance. They were already in the process of turning, recognizing that he was a forerunner of something that was going to be radically new. In fact, Isaiah 40 had prophesied, Behold, there will be a voice crying in the wilderness, Make, prepare the way for the Lord. Or in Malachi, we get a forerunning picture. We get several prophecies about this voice that would be crying out. And so John was preparing the hearts of people, but it wasn't giving them the Holy Spirit. It was only preparing them to hear about Jesus. And then when they would be baptized into Jesus' name, they would receive the power of the Holy Spirit, which had been the promise from time immemorial all the way back to Abraham. I'm going to bless the nations. Well, the blessing according to Galatians 3 was the, was the Holy Spirit. Don't underestimate the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> God's presence living on the inside of you. So they asked the question. Well, we were baptized into John. And Paul said, well, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling people to believe in him who was coming after him. That is in Jesus. And when they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, we baptized a lot of people. We're going to baptize some folks on the 21st. And if you want to get baptized, if you've never been water baptized, what are you waiting on? I could put streams, hundreds and hundreds of people that I've baptized over the last few years, and they'll all get up there and they'll go. It was, it was the most, one of the most powerful things I've ever experienced in my life. Something, And many of them will give you testimony of how something really shifted in their spirit after they got baptized. It's, it's just a ceremony. I don't need to do that. Get water baptized. I was sprinkled as a child. Come on, man. Get, get water baptized. Get fully dunked. You've got all kinds of stuff. You need to bury it. And then come up new. It's a picture. It's a symbol. But I think there's a deep spiritual reality. And they were baptized in the Lord Jesus. And then when Paul had laid his hands upon them, the Holy Spirit came on them. And they began speaking with tongues and prophesying. And there were in all about 12 men. And so, look, I, <clears throat> we always, when, when I baptize and we baptize people, we, they come up out of the water. We baptize you in the name of Jesus, in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, like Jesus told us to pray. And we always lay our hands immediately on and say, Father, just fill them with the Holy Spirit so we can get through all this, you know, charismatic, Pentecostal, second filling, all this kind of stuff. Let's just, let's just take care of it all right there because that's what he did. And if that worked, it was that's good enough for them, it's good enough for us. We just lay our hands. And whether or not you believe in the continuation of tongues and gifts and prophecy and all those kinds of things or not, and I know in a church like this, in a valley like this, there's all kinds of thoughts about that, but can I just say we all want to be filled with the Holy Spirit, and however you manifest the Spirit, we'll let God take care of that and quit trying to quibble over all the details. Just say, I want the Holy Spirit and all the gifts that come with it, and we'll see that soon. And finally, there's one God and one Father. 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 5 just says, even if they're so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords. Now, uh, again, we go back into the language. We could do all the word study here. I don't think it's the point. There's just a lot of things 
masquerading as gods, as deities. Science masquerades as God today. Pantheism masquerades as God. And by the way, when you're talking about this whole idea of, of, of pantheism, you know, it says, what does this mean that God's in all and through all and all that? Is that that's pantheism. That's a, that means God is the rocks and the trees. No, it's not that God is some trans, transcendent reality that then manifests himself in creation like mother nature. No, it's just that God fills the earth. He fills it. He's imminent. He's present with us. But he is not the the trees and the rocks and the nature. He's not mother nature. He's not just a, a personification or a manifestation of some natural phenomenon. No, God is both separate from his creation, but he fills the creation. Pantheism says, basically, he is creation. He's nature. He, he is the, he's the stuff. He's not the stuff. He fills the stuff. That's, uh, you know, you go around in a lot of modern day, a lot of the Eastern uh, mysticism and a lot of the Eastern spirituality deals, and fundamentally, it's the same thing. They're just, they're worshiping the creation rather than the creator. Does that make sense? And then lastly, Acts chapter 19, he says, uh, verse 26, You see and hear that not only in Ephesus but in all of Asia, this Paul has persuaded and turned away a considerable number of people, saying that gods made with hands are no gods at all. And they were offended by that. I mean, that just cracks me up, you know? I mean, this Paul, who is he to say that gods made with hands are no gods at all? And we've got our statues. We've got, you know, remember, remember the statue we talked about when they went into Ephesus? And, and the ones they were making, and she has all the breasts all over her. It's all this strange stuff. And, and they're worshiping the god, uh, you know, the goddess and Artemis and all this. And they're worshiping this goddess. And Paul's coming in saying these are no gods at all. Exactly. Gods made with human hands are no gods at all. God's the creator He's not something you can create. And yet we still, we, hey, look, we may not be doing that. We got a lot of educated people around this Coachella Valley. A lot of people that come in, you know, come in, Rancho Mirage, Speaker Series. You know, I was in Aspen for a long time, Aspen Institute. We got all these very, very smart people. But deep down, they say, we are the creators. The core of it's no different than that. What we create, what we understand to be true, what we, the the philosophies that we create, that's reality. That's who we are. No, it's the same thing. These are just philosophies. These are gods, faiths, if you will, made with human hands. And they're no gods at all. That's the gospel. <clears throat> no way am I going to get through this. I knew I wasn't going to get through this. But it's okay because I hope this is going to get you excited about coming next week. I cannot wait to get to impact there is, in fact, I'm so happy that this happened because I was going to rush through this and I was going to, I just felt there was not enough time. This Psalm 68, go back and read it. This is a picture of the divine warrior. You see this picture of God sweeping, you know, bringing them out of Egypt and, and you know, off Sinai and sweeping through the desert, you know, in an ark. Imagine. Crossing the Jordan and then ascending Zion and and. And then all these captives and all this language, what does all this mean? And then, and then why would Paul, in a letter to Ephesus, in the context of how we should live, 
draw on Psalm 68. There's so much depth in this. There's so much power in this. Well, am I overselling it? I'm underselling it. Next week, it's going gonna, it's gonna to rock your world. But it's very much about ascending Zion. It's about the place where God's presence is. It's, a, it's about the tabernacle. We're going to look at all these things next week. And I think it's going to be a very, very exciting week. Now, have we in our spirits the foundations for which we should launch? Let's do a quick rewind as your walk, does it look different? Or, or would somebody from the outside in looking at you go, well, it's pretty much the same people I met 20 years ago. They do the same things. They're interested in the same things. They talk the same way. They love the same way or lack of love. They still struggle in areas of purity. They say, you know, their life looks exactly the same as it did when I met them 20 years ago. Why would I need to go to that guy's church? He's invited me. Why would I need to go? He hadn't changed. I, oh, it's just religion. Do you see the necessity of us being a different people? When I hear people come and said, you know, I love it. When people come to Christ and, and they begin to follow Jesus and they come and it happens 99% of the time, they, many times they'll come and they'll say, you know, my, the people I used to hang with, some of them won't return my calls now. And they think, you know, am I doing something wrong? Am I, and, and I'm just saying, I'm, I, I say, look, our prayer is that they would come back in, but they're going to come back in because they're going to love Jesus. You say, well, does that mean you should leave your friends? It's not even about They weren't trying to leave their friends. They just saw, they began to see a shift in their friend, and they didn't enjoy the same things they enjoyed. They didn't call them to go out drinking all night because, well, they, just, they didn't enjoy doing that anymore. And a guy'd sit there and drink water all night. He'd hang out with us and drive us. It felt like we had our mother with us, or you know, something like that, like a chaperone. And and so the parties change, and the people and the invites change, or or whatever. Or you do share Christ. You begin to share Christ. You share your experience, and people go, "Get away from me!" And people say, "I'm losing friends." And what Jesus said, "If you give up your friends." You'll get a hundred times that, both in the life to come and in this life. And I will tell you, and I was telling some people this week, it's the same thing. I look around, I go, are you kidding me? I did. I gave up a few friends. But the amount of friends and families and homes, you give up a home for me, I'll give you a hundred times that. I, I feel like I can go all over the country and pe- I can stay, people say, you stay in my home. I have homes, I have friends, I have, and that's going to happen with you. But you got to be part of a body. You got to be part of a community. To be part of that and, that, and that's one of the things we're learning. So we want to lock, walk in love. We need to think differently. We need to be, take, take discipleship seriously. Do I understand this or am I just coming you know, here? Do I ever read my Bible? Do I actually read my Bible? I mean, that's what this is talking about. And then lastly, we are one body. There's only one faith. There's only one God. There's only one Father. There's only one Jesus. There's only one baptism. There's only one. And we're, we want to live for an audience of one. Not ten, not twelve, one. So that's the shift we see here. That's the shift. In closing, this song that we're going to close in in worship was the song, the very first song we played. And I had a little feedback from it. it said, that, that song, I don't know. I mean, you had people with no shoes on and... You know, and it wasn't really our demographic, but the language of this song, in light of what we're going to be talking about next week and this week, 
this climb, you know, this, this ascendancy to Mount Zion, the very presence of God, where there's Jesus conquered the grave. That, the, the movement in that direction, how we go to Mount Zion, I'm going to unpack more this week. But if you will, just, just listen intently to the words of this song, even if it's maybe not the style. I love the song, but if it's not your style of worship, the language in the, in the song is exactly what I want to begin to penetrate us, especially as we unpack this more next week. Okay? So let's finish with this song. <laughs> 